0: Hey, I'm Todd, coming to you from the Sports and Spiritual Library in, uh, snowy Verona, Wisconsin, in my apartment. Nice and warm in here. I uh, going off the, uh, going off the book by Jeron Jaworski here, and, uh, good book. It's Evolution. Evolution of NFL Pro Football on Seven Sundays. Games that changed the game. It's by Ron Jaworski with Greg Cosell and David Plott. Forward Steve Sable, president, NFL Films. 2010 is the uh, copyright date. So, anyways, here we go. We're going to go about the, uh, we're going to come into the Iron Curtain. Steel Iron Curtain with uh, the defensive coordinator, Bud Carson, and a cover-two defense. And this is the 1974 AFC Championship. Steelers, Raiders, one of many championship matchups. Two awesome teams in the 70s. On December 20th, 1975, you're a 75 New 70,000 fans filed into the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum for a rare Saturday night game that millions more would watch on national television. The opponents were the defending Super Bowl champion Steelers and the hometown Rams. First-string quarterback James Harris was still nursing a bruised shoulder. So L.A. coach Chuck Knox turned to a second-year passer, local sportswriters, and dubbed the Polish Rifle. But everyone else called Ron Vincent Jaworski. Nearly two years since my college days at Youngstown State, I was at Long Fast finally getting my first start in the National Football League. Both teams had already wrapped up playoff spots, but it was still a game that each of us wanted to win. I know I did. That was my best chance to prove that I could play in the NFL. Even though I'd be facing one of the greatest defenses in league history. All week I felt that. This is the cover two defense, by the way, too. All week I knot in the pit of my stomach as I studied the game film of Pittsburgh Steel Curtain defense. I thought points would be very tough to come by and boy was I right. We squeaked, we squeaked out a ten to three win that wasn't decided until the fourth quarter. With six minutes to play I spotted wide receiver Harold Jackson for a thirty eight yard completion. Then finished the drive myself with a quarterback draw for the game's only touchdown. It snapped a Steelers 11-game winning streak. Although they started a new one, a week later, three straight postseason wins that earned them their second straight Lombardi Trophy in Super Bowl X. The Steelers won those championships primarily because of their uh, defense, a unit with talent to burn that utilized a number of revolutionary concepts including one that many current teams still rely on, cover two. The acknowledged master of the concept was Pittsburgh's defensive coordinator, Bud Carson. Cover two, yeah. That became a, uh, that became a daily staple in the NFL on uh, Sundays in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s. I, you remember Tampa Bay ran that they ran all the way to the uh NFL championship game in two thousand and uh they won it in two thousand three I believe. I believe it was 2000, 2003, something like that. But yeah, they they murdered freaking Raiders. That was when uh that was when uh what's this Barrett uh Robbins took off and went down to New Mexico and he never came back. <laughs> that was just sad. His unorthodox approach not only won Super Bowls, but also forced the eventual adoption of the new rules. Rules that morphed the NFL from caveman football to the uh, sky show we watch today. Carson first installed cover two as a college coach during the late 1960s, initially viewing it as a rushing defense against option because it placed both cornerbacks on the line, creating a run-stuffing nine-man front. But it took it with him to Pittsburgh when Chuck Noll was hired. Hired him in 1972. And it helped produce one of the finest defenses in league history. The Steel Curtain. The Steel Curtain was anchored by a front four that would Pressure the passer all by, them, all by themselves. That was a critical component of the cover two concept. Confident that they'd force, confident that they'd force enemy quarterbacks to throw in a hurry, Carson was able to add other innovative wrinkles. His first change involved redefining the secondary's responsibility. There were two predominant coverages in the NFL back then. The first being three deep zone. The other was man free, which is man to man coverage on all eligible receivers, with a rolling safety available to help out wherever needed. In both of those traditional coverages, the cornerbacks were responsible for defending any vertical routes, but not into the cover two. Carson called for both corners to move up to the line of scrimmage across from their targeted receivers. Meanwhile, the two safeties dropped deeper than normal to patrol their designated halves of the field. With corners lined up directly across from their opponents, they could jam, then reroute a receiver, potentially ruining his designated pattern. The two safeties were, in essence, the safety net. If the receivers got by those jams, well, you know, what I'm seeing there, too, is the fact that, you know, it's it's one of those things that changed. You'll still less and less of it with the rule changes because of the, uh, of the ability to, uh, the, you know, the corners cannot mug the receivers. That's the line of scrimmage. And after five yards, they couldn't bump them at all. Why well, is the difference now? But, you know, it, it's a rule, but is it enforced? Not really. Just depends what game you're watching on the referees. But that's a whole other issue, isn't it? Before Carson most secondary run support came from the safeties, but that changed in cover two. The rolled up corners made the scheme very effective if the offense ran the ball wide because tight covering defensive backs could take away plays designed to bounce to the outside. Cover two was even more effective on passing plays. The Steelers had corners who were big physical athletes. Mel Blunt and J. T. Thomas could jam receivers at the line, disrupt their patterns, and this was all perfectly legal until this take tactic was outlawed in nineteen seventy eight Defenders could be much more physical all over the field. They could ride receivers or tight end and reroute them anywhere in the pass pattern. This made quarterbacks. Sitting ducks for the Steel Curtain's legendary four of Joe Green, Ernie Holmes, Dwight White, and L.C. Hollywood Greenwood. Another critical component of Cover 2 was Carson's deployment of the inside linebacker. Hollywood Bags is the name for uh, L.C. Greenwood. Another critical component of the cover two was... I'm going to read this again. Of cover two was Carson's deployment of the inside linebackers. Bud realized that with his corners set tight to their opponents and the safety split, voids were, crea- voids were created in the intermediate and deep middle of the field. That weakness was addressed after the Steelers drafted... Middle linebacker Jack Lambert in 1974 with his off-charts height and speed. Lambert height was prototypical cover two linebacker. He made all the difference in Carson's defense. He was a mad man. Teammates Andy Russell claimed that Lambert was the first linebacker who could blanket tight ends at man-to-man and run with them down the middle. With Lambert smothering the likes of all-pro Raymond Chester and Russ Francis, the safeties were free to beat up the receivers trying to make catches. Pittsburgh's safeties were required to be hybrids. They needed range and instinct to receive defend against the pass, but also the athletic talents that attack downfield with speed and control to stop the run. This may be why Carson Steelers' defenses are remembered by many as being big and tough. They were physical all right and still have bruise marks from that 75 game as proof. But the reality was that the Steelers of mid-70s were comparatively small for their era, particularly at linebacker position. Speed and intelligence, more than size, was the strength's of Steelers defenses, yeah, Andy Russell's really undersized, and uh, he was—I think he was like a 14-year vet in '75. I might be wrong, but I know that he was a hell of a linebacker too. He was there before they even got—before they even started winning. Being smart was essential for anyone who played cover, too. In Bud's first years, he stressed another new concept called rote progression. Carson taught his guys to understand that defense on all pass routes was based on an understanding of where receivers line up. Are they next to the strong side and will tackle? Side by side? Inside where the tight end was, crease snap alignment dictated post-snap, post-snap route combinations. Then Bud established specific deep adjustments for the linebackers and the secondary. Angles and spacing were essential to his system. Carson's players were drilled constantly to make sure that They were in the right position at the corner distance to cover receivers. Steelers were especially adept at running plays before the snap and were rarely fooled by traps or misdirection. Carson also kept them on their toes by changing entire alignments on the fly, sometimes in the middle of the games. These players were bright and talented enough to adjust. A lot of times you didn't even know what coverage you were going to play when you came out of the huddle at minute 20 Dungy, who was a rookie defensive back in 1977, Carson's final season in Pittsburgh. It depended on the formation the offense was in and you had to get those checks. On the run. If we could be in a better defense, but didn't we didn't want to be stuck, or didn't want to be stuck in something that wasn't as good? He expected us to change it. One of the favorite statements was, "I know this is hard concept, but if we're smart, we can handle it." What were we going to do? To say that we could handle it? That we couldn't handle it? Nobody would say, "This is really too hard, but we can do it. We can't do it." You would take the challenge because he'd always lay it on that one that, on that way. That, he were, that if we were smart as he, we thought we were, we could get it done. This strategy of using proactive reaction, virtually non-existent in the NFL of the early '70s is widespread in today's game. Given his background, it almost seemed preordained that Leon Bud Carson would one day coach in Pittsburgh. This son of a steel worker was born in Freeport, Pennsylvania, about a half, half hour drive from Pittsburgh city limits. He played defensive back for the University of North Carolina then served two years in the Marines. After his discharge, he coached high school ball until his alma mater brought him back as Tar Heel assistant in 1957. He made another stop at South Carolina Carolina, before moving on to Georgia Tech in 1966. The next year, the Yellow Jackets put Carson in charge. succeeding coaching legend Bobby Dodd, Bud suffered through two losing seasons before taking a 9-3 tech team to the Sun Bowl in 1970. But after slipping to 6-6 six six with a bowl, but after slipping to 6-6 six six with a bowl, bowl loss in 1971, Carson was fired. You know, uh, the coaching award, the national coaching award is, uh, it's a Bobby Dodd award and you know that's how I know the name, but I know another guy that coached at Georgia Tech and his name was uh his his name excuse me. I just had it on Timothy Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so anyways. Oh, Pepper Rodgers, I'm thinking of, and yeah, he was something else. That boy was on fire. But uh, he's a great coach. Georgia Tech went on to have a long history of good football. All right, Stewart's head coach Chuck Knoll quickly contacted contacted Bud to see if he was interested in returning to his. Western Pennsylvania rose as a defensive backfield coach. So, Carson agreed to join the staff, which also included two brilliant minds in, in line coach George Perlis, linebacker coach Woody Wiedenhofer. And Perlis, when he left Pittsburgh, he went on to Michigan State and developed an incredibly, incredibly tough defense. Um, yeah, they, uh, they turned out Carl Killer Banks and a couple other guys run that team too. That that uh, were just oh, I'm thinking of Percy Snow and. Uh, Percy Snow was just an incredible linebacker, and he went on to have a good NFL career, too. What the uh, the thing was is that, you know, Woody Weedenhofer was excellent at uh, Missouri, and he had some big upsets. Noel began in 1972 as both head coach and defensive coordinator, but soon realized he was spreading himself too thin. So at midseason, he put Bud... In charge of the defense. The 72 Steelers were on their way, were on there to win their division, making the playoffs for the first time since 1947. Nolan Carson were a perfect football marriage. Chuck was a firm believer in zone coverages, not the predominator man to man scheme of the era. Right after he was hired, Bud met with Noel, and Chuck told him what kind of defense he wanted him to play. Given the talent we had, recalls safety Mark wagner Noel's philosophy was not to try and trick the other team. But to out-execute them. Bud stuck to this as well. Making changes here and there, but not straying too far from his principles. Chuck liked to Chuck liked the concepts of cover two and thought that this scheme could become foundation for everything he wanted to do on defense. Before then I didn't even know what cover two was. I had never played it in college. Oh, Jack Ham had played some at Penn State, even if you don't want to admit that Bud is the father of the cover, too, he definitely deserves all the credit for, for redefining it and giving us discipline. Players could tell right away that Carson was brilliant. They also recognized he would be a son of a bitch. What was a tough customer business-like and business-like and to the point, said Dungy. We didn't mind getting on anybody and everybody. He was a great guy to learn from. As long as you didn't take it personally. In my rookie year, we were playing the... Yeah. Playing the Browns. We had the, uh, the lead when I came to, and to replace Wagner after he got hurt. It was a scheme that we had worked on in practice the whole week. I messed it up, they scored, and I came back to the bench. But said, "Coast, know how to fire you. Before I let him do that, I'll cut you myself tomorrow. I'm not going to lose my job because you can't do what you're supposed to do. If you had feelings that could be hurt easily, you didn't want to play for Bud Carson. Jack Ham remembers the, uh, shooting, the shouting matches. There were a lot of them. To watch us in practice, you'd have thought we were dysfunctional defense. But out of all that came a solid game plan. In a solid defensive football team. You better have a you better have a thick skin with Bud. It didn't matter if you were an all pro or a backup. He'd scream at you. If you got beat physically, that was one thing. But what he drove him crazy was if you made a mental error. He'd go nuts. But he was also receptive to other people's ideas. He wasn't a my way or the highway kind of guy. He was confident enough in his abilities as a coach that if you had something that made the team better, then he was all for it. Because of Carson's open-mindedness, the Steelers' defense was first unit to figure out how to shut down a particular Third down pass play that had been so difficult to stop. On third and short, offenses would isolate a running back on a linebacker who was in man-to-man coverage. If the linebacker played too far outside, the halfback would break his running receiving route inside, and vice versa. The play almost resulted in a first down completion because the linebacker backed off in a cushion. Since ball carriers were usually better athletes with superior field skills, linebackers had to play loose. Otherwise, a mess otherwise a missed jam could easily result in a touchdown. But then Andy Russell came. Up, but then Andy Russell came up with a solution. I remember how I covered Tom Eddy. He was a good receiver, but he wasn't any faster than me. So what I did was jump up in the face in his face as the ball was snapped, not allowing him an inside route, not allowing him an inside move, then I'd be able to run with him as I pushed him down the sideline. I thought this might also work with fast backs like o j. Simpson at Podolak, and Jim Kick. I explained it to Bud, but he liked the uh idea, so Ham and I developed a new technique called. Hug. Hug up. When the ball is snapped, when the ball is snapped, it would almost be like a blitz. And the backs would set themselves for a blitz pickup. It turned out that the technique was worked beautifully. We usually stopped them on those third down plays. But year after I retired... I traveled to lots of stadiums as an announcer for NBC. Coaches would come up to me before the game asking me if I could teach their guys to hug, up, hug them up because he was so receptive to new approaches. Parsons would be flexible with his own. But would never let an offense to dictate to run, to dictate to our defense, said Wagner. When he put the game effort, when he put the game plan in, he was constantly changing what we did, given what he saw on film or what he anticipated the opponent to do. I remember one time before a game, Noel came up to me to remind me of my responsibility in a particular coverage. I laughed and shook my head telling Chuck, forget it, but Changed it in the tunnel. Bud was so intense he was always trying to come up with a better scheme. Some of the flexibility stemmed from Bud's own paranoia. He never went he never wanted opposing coaches to know what we were doing, said Russell. He had a real phobia about them being able to anticipate the defenses we were in, usually an opposing offense, would send guys in motion. In the hopes that the defense would switch to a zone. A lot of the defenses responded this way back then. Then the quarterback had a better picture of what he was facing. But didn't want us to do that. He wanted us to be able to change. Every time the offense moved, he wanted to try to he wanted us to switch to the defense. That would best stop their best play. From out in a specific formation. By Friday, Bud would finally decide on what defenders he wanted us to play, defenses he wanted us to play. He would give us, he would give us a bunch of automatic checks. So if the other team came out in an I formation, him and I would play defense. Number one, if they moved to where the fullback was behind the center and the halfback was to his right, then F- Bud had us in the defense number two. If they moved to a split backfield, then it was defense number three, and so on. Theoretically, it was possible we could change the defense five times before the ball was snapped. And this ain't never been done. Because in the old days, everybody just checked his own. Carson was simply not letting them know why or what we were doing. All right. One time when I fight the Cincinnati for a game with the Bengals, Russell was cramming like a nervous college student, trying to memorize all Bud's defensive checks. Rose stadiums were so hard for the Steelers defenders to rely on beating middle linebackers Show, shout out the changes, so the entire front seven had to be automatically no to react to any formation. We're standing in the tunnel for the introductions. Russell recalling Carson informs us that he has completely changed the calls. All of a sudden, we got five brand new checks. We start the game with those new calls, which I'll refer to as the Sunday afternoon checks, as opposed to the Friday afternoon checks. Well, let's stop right there. I believe that I believe that teams, the best teams there are is just to the defenses and